0: All right, family, we are... Funny, funny story. So, guys, I was... Uh, <clears throat> so, you know, Ezekiel's not here. He's in he's in Texas, and he was... Uh, he asked me to take... Well, he he asked us to take him to the the, the airport, but the flight left at 6 in the morning, so he's somebody, whoever's gonna do it, had to leave at like 4.30 or something, so, you know, as usual, I kind of wait to see what's gonna happen. No one said... Not to shame anybody, no one said, I'm gonna take you, so... So I take him to the airport. I'm like, I'll take you, you know. So then we get there. I'm like, well, you know, I've been, I fly a lot. And so I'm, I'm thinking 4.50. I'm thinking 4.40 would be more than enough time for me to get you there, like 5, 5.10. Uh, well, sure enough, man, you know, 4 in the morning, that's, a, that's some deep sleep time. All of a sudden, uh, he calls. He's like, hey, you coming? Or something like that. And I hear my alarm going, do doo do 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 you know. And so I've been sleeping. That was part of the jam that was in my dream, you know. And um, get up. Get him! I get him to the airport, y'all. We get there super, super like we get there pretty quick. So, you, you know what? So I'm confessing right now. It's more of a confession, <laughs> confessing beating. But uh, we're like, is this brother going to make it? You know. And so then, sure enough, I find out he missed the flight. Oh, I felt so bad. Yeah, so he missed the flight, but he was so cool and. Um, Found another one in an hour, and then they were taking a three-hour bus ride to get to their place to hang out or whatever, you know. But praise God, he got to the bus the same time he would have got it on the last flight. So feel good. I thought I would just air that dirty laundry with you guys. So has nothing to do with the sermon, but I just felt it's a fun story that I thought I would share with you some of my my brokenness, and and also maybe you not might not want me to take you to the airport if anyone needs. So I I think I got out of that job now, sweetie. I'm done. <laughs> My airport day's over. Hey, um... Guys, we are, we are uh, right now uh, in a time of Lent. Uh, hope you are, got your word with you. Uh, a lot of the scriptures will be on the screen. A few of them will not. So I want to make sure you have your Bibles ready to rock. Uh, you know, we are a training church. We want people to understand the Bible, not just to be smarter, but for the lead toward worship. We usually study books of the Bible in our local community. Actually, we are in the middle of 2 Thessalonians, and then we're taking a break right now because we are also in a season of Lent. Uh, the season of Lent is a season where we as a people of God historically have prepared our hearts uh, to prepare for uh, the Easter celebration. As, as uh, we talk about the, the Super Bowl of our Christian faith, uh, the resurrection of Christ, where uh, I tell people the most important time uh, in history, according to the scriptures, is uh, not necessarily uh, Jesus' return, but it's when Jesus died on the cross. That's when he paid for, for our sins. That's when he made a spectacle of the enemy, the scriptures say. That's when uh, basically he defeated sin, death, Satan, and evil. Uh, it was at the cross. And so that's why we call it our Super Bowl because we are celebrating that our Savior is not dead he is risen so uh, to prepare our hearts for that because that's a serious celebration right? we need to prepare our hearts that if we have a risen Savior then he's a Savior for a reason because that meant that he saved somebody that meant somebody needed to be rescued And that's all of us, right? That that, the all of creation, all of humanity—not even humans—but all of creation. The Bible says in Romans eight needed to be rescued from this groaning, from this brokenness. And so, um, so what we're doing is we're taking these these seven weeks to prepare our hearts and consider the reality uh, that a God would be that good to save messed up people. We always say that the Scriptures are simply uh, a Bible about bad people and a good God. Uh, If you want to sum up the Bible, and uh, you know, some people don't like that, but people who, who realize they need a Savior, we. We're okay with that, especially if God has made us alive again. But that's the reality, and so we're, we're uh, doing Lent, and we're, we decided this year we're going to look at the I Am, uh, the I Am passage, the discourses that we see in the Scriptures where Jesus um, basically uses... Um, uh, a very important uh, terminology. This I am, basically the name uh, the, of God that is given in the Old Testament. Yahweh, uh, I am sent you is what he says in in in, uh, in Exodus. We're we're looking at these because this is Jesus basically trying to just kind of jolt the people of, uh, in the first century to consider what was happening in antiquity to understand like that man that when, last time I, when I hear that I am, I'm thinking about Yahweh, and this guy is acting like Yahweh. He's talking like Yahweh. Perhaps he. Is is God Himself, right? This is this is Jesus' whole point for Him to use terminologies like that and to do the things He's doing to heal people. wasn't to to say, look how cool I am. I can heal people. I'm off the chain. That, that wasn't the point. Everything that God did was very strategic to, to validate His Godness, to validate who He is, so that you and I would say, this is why I want, I need to, I should, and I and I desire to worship the Savior. So this is what we're looking at. We've we've gone through a few I am statements. Last week, uh, we looked at I am the gate, which is in John chapter 10. Uh, This week, we're going to look at uh, the same discourse, actually. And I hope you were encouraged last week because I am the gate, I told you guys last week, doesn't get a lot of airtime. And so I thought we would do I am the gate. And now we're going to do a more popular version uh, or more popular verse that gets a lot of airtime. But we're going to look at it together as a local community. And that is uh, Jesus saying that I am the good shepherd. Right, And then we'll continue these I am statements, okay? So we're praying, if you're new here, we ask that you'll keep coming um, as we're going through these I am statements, and then we'll conclude our I am statements uh, with I am the resurrection and the life, praise God, on Easter Sunday, Amen. right? So that's, that's, what we, that's how we're flowing, okay? Um, this is very important. Every, every time we open up the Bible, it's, you know obviously very important because we're opening up the pure, unadulterated wisdom of God. Um, Man, when we look at the Gospels and specifically these discourses, you got to understand God is at the point now where he, you know, I tell you that the the Gospels and specifically parables and specifically these sermons that he's doing, they're apocalyptic in nature. What I mean by that, and what well, not like I made that up, but what theologians mean is that he's he's basically talking about the the last times as it were. He's basically saying, I'm kind of frustrated. I've been sharing and sharing and sharing and caring and caring and caring. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of cloak. I'm going to kind of put a vellum over the stuff I'm saying, I'm going to take very simple, simple ideas and simple understand, uh, things that you should get, and all of a sudden, people who are not hungry won't get it. And this will be something for, for hungry people, because I'm tired of throwing these lobs and people not hitting them out of the park. And so now we're at this stage, that's what he says. When he says these things, and that's why when we looked at some of the other I am statements in the past, you know, people were cut to the quick, people were thinking he was talking about cannibalism and all these things, you know, conclusions that people were having because people weren't pausing to really consider the deep spiritual meaning behind what God is saying. And his point in this is for you and I, you say, well, what is that? What's the application to tell you right now? The point when you, when you open up the Bible first, God is saying, what is God saying about himself? What are you learning about who God is? So in even, you know, in our culture today in America, we open up the Bible. The First thing we want to know is a help book. What is it telling me about me? What can I do for me? How can I get better? How can I be nicer? All this stuff. Right. And and, and trust me, Christian ethics are extremely important family. We need to be godly people because God has made us like himself and then he made us new for sure. But primarily, when you open up the Bible, God wants you to ask, what am I learning about God? What am I learning more about his character, who he is? Because see, then when you learn about God, you learn that he's faithful and he's good, which we're going to see in a moment. Then now that teaches you about a little bit about, about you, about who he wants you to be, what he wants you to be about, why you are living on earth, okay? So same discourse. He says, right after we just finished uh, last week, now he says, I am the good shepherd, verse 11, right? Which, and again, we talked last week, you know, we're going to jump right in, it's, a normal part of life, this whole sheep-shepherd thing. Uh, and so we, we talked about that in depth last week. And so as you're thinking about the sheep and the shepherd, and as we go on into prayer, I want you to consider all the stuff you've heard in the past about being a good shepherd, and then what we talked about last week about the gate. And hopefully um, I can kind of take some myths that may be in your mind, out of your mind. Hopefully I can affirm some things that have been biblical in your life. Um, but we want to hear from God right now, okay? So by your heads. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that we can open up your Bible as a family and we can say, Lord, teach us who you are. Allow us to eat from your table. Allow us to drink from your well. We pray for that Christ. Holy Spirit, we ask that you bring glory to Jesus right now, that we would all be encouraged by the good God we serve, you that we would denounce all false gods in our life. We would denounce the false gods that the world tries to bring before us and and have them glittering and and shiny. And we go, oh, wow. We pray that we would reject that madness and you would bring us to a heart of worship where we would be pleased and we would be delighted to honor you. And would you use uh, words of another broken servant, would you graciously use me to lead your people by your grace? In Jesus' name, amen. Sheeps were everywhere, right? Everywhere in the Eastern world. Common thing. You see it in the Old Testament. You look at Isaac, you look at Jacob, you look at Joseph, you look at his brothers, you look at David, shepherd, and his brothers, right? They're all shepherds. <laughs> so this is a common thing. They were important for sustenance. You know, you ate them, <laughs> a source of meat. Uh, they are the source, of, they were important for sacrifices, right? Man, we you know, we use sheep to, put, to make gear, you know, important for clothes. Um, so so when you think, of, I, I just say that because we talked about it last week, but I just want to make sure to get in our minds when we put our first century glasses on and we think like a first century Jew, just keep in mind. I mean, think of a profession that's just so normative. You think of a postal worker. You think of a man, Alvin. You think of a, a police officer. You know what I'm saying? You think of some of the most... Uh, you think of in our culture, uh, the, mo- the frameworks of people who, you just know. when I think of that, I clearly know, like I have a, I have a picture of, what a, of a doctor, I, or you, know, you think of that, of a football player. I mean, a sheep, a shepherd, people understood, and they had a picture in their minds when you, when you use the word shepherd in the first century. I just want us to, because we're all city, most of us are city folk up in here. I know I am, and so you, you, maybe there might be a little disconnect. Just want to remind you, that wasn't them. So that just means that you and I got work to do when we want to understand a passage such as this. Okay? And so it was a normal deal. Uh, and what I want to do is, uh, this, this, is a cra- this, this This passage it jumps back and forth in different ways. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to uh, just kind of talk about the passage as we expise, explain the passage as a whole. But I want to, uh, as far as markers, I want to talk about markers for a good shepherd. I think that's going to be the kind of the, the bucket we'll use to kind of understand the theology behind the text we'll be looking at, okay? is like markers for a good shepherd, because he says in verse 11, read with me, I I am the good shepherd. It says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Right? So that's how he starts. So you think of yourself, you'll be thinking, okay, so lays out his life for the sheep. What's the markers of a good shepherd? Now remember how I told you in the past, right, back in the day, how they would gather. Like you had, you had many, you had many sheep, and you would have a different shepherd, and they would all do like these common gathering spaces, right? I think this was uh you know, you know, you'd see different shepherds come in, it'd be a, a low wall, they all, would, they all would go in, kind of like the first playdates, you know, and all the sheep would kind of hang out and then the shepherds would go do their thing, you know, and then come back and then they'd call their sheep, right? Um, this is, this is what, this is kind of the picture here. And notice in verse 11, and if you look in your Bibles, verse 14, he says this concept, I am the good shepherd. And what I wanted to do is, uh, I wanted to talk about, what does it mean when you talk about being good? I want to pause with that first, right? Is it first, way? What, what does it mean when he says, I'm the good shepherd? I am the good. What, there's, there's, this, there's doctrine in the Bible, and, and one is called the attributes of God, right? When you think of good, that's an attribute, okay? There's... there's uh, incommunicable attributes, all right? And then there's communicable attributes. And those are, again, I, I throw, again, you know I do that. I throw some seminary words to justify my degree every once in a while. And communi- <laughs> incommunicable attributes are are things where you can't be like God. That's basically saying you can't, he didn't, he didn't give you the space to be like that, right? That means like being omniscient or omnipresent, right? You can't be Everywhere, all the time, right? You're not all powerful. So God has decided in his goodness, praise God, I'm going to reserve those for myself. You don't get to partake in that. Okay, but then he's good. He's awesome in that he says, but then I'm gonna give you some communicable attributes. There's some things that when I created you in my, in my image, the Imago day, what I've done is I've made you like me. And so actually, there's some things that I do and how I roll where I'm gonna allow you to roll just like that, just for you to also remind yourself that I made you and then you bring me glory when you act like me. Right? That's like any parent. I mean, we, we, we want our kids to be individuals. We want them to be who they are. But it's really cool when you see your son or your daughter kind of reflecting you, right? When you see them doing certain things that you do, even goofy stuff, even stuff, you know, like my snorting or something. I don't want them to snort. But I go, yep, that's a rust." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so God gives us, uh, when we talk about goodness, this is kind of a... A communicable attribute that God gives us, family, and I just want to pause in that because I want you to consider uh, the grace of God, and then I want to talk about what, what we mean by good from his perspective, but God's perspective. See, see, God being good is, is also, in his communicable attributes, when he makes us like himself, he also makes us different, right? Because the difference here is him being good is not just what he does. It's who he is. Pause and think about that. It's who God is. That God by nature, nature is inherently good. Right? And, and um, you, can, you can write this address down, Psalm 34, 8. The whole point is that he, he, did, not, he did not get goodness from someone. Right? But it, it, we get it from him. Now what, is, what does it mean when we talk about God being uh, perfectly good? I just want to say, what does it do for us? First, it, it allows us to, to assure us that God's purposes for us are good. You say, why, 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 just, why study the doctrine of, of God's goodness, the attribute of God's goodness? It's very important. Because when we, when, we, when, we, when we dial in and we really consider who God is, what it does, it allows us to go, oh, so if God is good, then what he does for us is good. You see that? Why is that important? Because, right, in a broken world, things happen to us, and I want to propose to you and me, right, that throughout your life, what's going to happen is basically you get up, and then there's this battle against who's going to have the mind, right? And that's what Paul says Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so you and I are fighting this battle because God is saying, I'm good. There's nothing that I'm doing where I don't express my full goodness to you, where I'm not, I'm not going to protect you. I'm not going to... I'm not going to there's nothing that's going to happen to you that's going to happen outside of me being good. So whatever happens, you know that a good God is allowing it to happen means he deserves your best. He wants your best, right? For you. Just like my kids. Well, that's God's heart. He wants he wants you to experience his best. He wants he wants what's good for you. And yet, throughout your day, Satan's going to be lying to you and things are going to happen in your life. Well, guess what? You're going to start going, "Hmm. That happened to me. That was horrible." This was tragic. This affected my my emotions. This hurt my relationships. Is God really good? And you start questioning God's goodness. And maybe you don't even question it out loud. But just pragmatically, how you start living your life determines that you don't really think God has your best for you. You don't really think God's good because you hoard all your money and you're scared to give it. Because you won't enter into relationships like God tells you to do. You know? You won't care for your wife or your husband the way God has told you to sacrificially love and care because you wonder, well, if I do that, are they going to get me? See, that's a God goodness issue. If God loves you and you trust in God, then you can do what God says, right? That, as a parent, you, 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 that is, that is, you talk about a pet peeve. I mean, that's the biggest thing for me as a parent is when, is when my kids, when they, when they question us, right? For me, what, what what makes me sad is not necessarily the question, because sometimes there's good questions, right? But it's when are those questions where you're kind of pausing and going, "Are you questioning if I'm going to if if I have your best interest in mind?" Right, right. Hey, 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 E, jump in, jump in, jump in, the, jump in the swimming pool, <laughs> right? And you're like, no. <laughs> Come on, buddy. I want to I want to teach you how to swim. I got this. Uh, can I use the bathroom? Or you know, so at that moment I'm going, does he not know I will die for him? Does he not know I will die in this water before he is hurt? See, now it's an issue of like, do you not, don't you trust me, bro? I know you're nervous. I know you're scared, but I'm daddy. I'm daddy. Don't you know I have your best for you? Don't you see that in your life sometimes? You're nervous, you're scared. You're like I don't know, God. That just seems really weird. God says, "Wait a minute. Do you not know? I'm Daddy. I'm here. I got you. I got you." It assures us that God's purpose for us is good. When you think of His goodness, so all the stuff that's going on, the purpose for God in your life, for God in your life, is good. Uh, piggyback off that, it it offers a security and encouragement. Again, we talked about that last week. I won't belabor that. The issue of security is huge, right? I don't understand. I I, I get it, but I'm telling you guys, we need to reject the notion of being like uncourageous, hedging the bet kind of Christians, where we are walking around trying to figure out, oh my goodness, you know, we just kind of say, okay, well, if I, I," We, we, we hedge our bets as if we don't serve a God. And God is going, wait a minute, if I'm good, you could have a, a certain freedom that other people don't even experience. They're just like, man, how can you be so free? How can you take those risks like that with your family? How can you, how can you do those certain things? How can, you, like, how can you share your faith like that? Not just, why, why are you always taking these risks? Because you know that God has your back. See, that's, how in the world can, you see how weird it is? Think about it. Some of us don't share our faith just because we're worried about what people think right? We're not putting ourselves in in, in harm's way because we're really saying, well, I'm the protector of my life, not God. How many of us really believe, hey, I protect my life, not God? You know, I'm the one. You know, if I don't do this and I don't do that, then I don't get this and I don't get that. And God is totally out of the equation. But then if I ask you, you put God in it because we want to sound like good Christians. And I'm imploring you and myself that we need to quit talking like good Christians and start acting like Christians, that God makes His He. That's what He. That's the Bible's heart. That's why we have quiet times. Some of us don't want to have quiet times. So you read the Bible, it just can kind of indict you. Like, so do I believe that about God? You start looking at it every morning, man. You know, you, you be looking like, man. God told me to. Wow, wow, just give my stuff and care for. Oh my goodness, and be a disciple and kind of preach the gospel and have an answer for the hope that's within. Man, whoa, right? If I turn a deaf, what? Turn a deaf ear to the poor. I. Dishonor God? What? (laughs) Right? Start affecting the way you live. Security and encouragement. You know what it does too, though? You know know what? It should, when when you think of God's goodness, it should draw you to God. Right? Here's the hardest part about being in community. Community, you want to be around people who have your best, who make you laugh, you can have the best discussion with, who you connect with the most, who you connect with the best, right? We like, we like healthy, we like having fun, we like, we like being around people who can kind of give us a net benefit, right? That's how we are. That's why it's hard to have good community because good, you know, healthy, biblical community, you with some people who are, who are like you and some people who are not like you at all, right? You in some groups where you're like, man, there's no way I would hang out with this person if I wasn't in a small group with them. Can I get Amen. All right? And so, and so, we, so we, we, like, we, we like that, right? God is going, no one's better than God. No one can comfort you like Jesus. No one protects you like God. No one has your back like him. See, when we really consider God's goodness, it makes no sense to say, I believe God is fully good, and you don't read your Bible. See how dumb that is? Because we keep it real, see, that's crazy. Because if I know that somebody has my best interests at heart and I know that they... Wait, not only did what I love about God's goodness, not only does he have your best interests, Because people have their best, your best interests at heart, but then they don't have any resources. They can't do nothing for you. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you nice, but you broke. You know what I'm saying? Or you nice, but you have no friends. But God is like, I own everything. I'm running everything. I'm all powerful. I know everything. I paid for all your sin, I've defeated Satan, and I got your good. you my child. How do you not run to that God? I mean, th- this is the conclusion that God wants you to come to every time you read your Bible. What am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? This, if this is the God we have before us, how do, I not, how do I not be free and give myself over to him? How do I not preach the gospel to waitresses and waiters and, and friends in the community and knock on people's doors and say, I want you to know that your creator is good and he has your best interest. How do you not? He gives us that mandate to share that faith because of who he is. So it should draw you to God. My prayer is that today, man, some of us probably haven't read the Bible in two months, maybe longer. Some of us haven't prayed apart from some general group where I'm praying and leading us or or at dinner in I don't know how long. Some of us haven't confessed sin in a really long time when you've gone before God and said, Lord, Holy Spirit, let me consider the areas I've dishonored God and and just agree with God your brokenness and experience his forgiveness, experience the filling of the Holy Spirit. Some of us haven't done that. When's the last time some of us have done that? My prayer is that right now, today, you will go home and you will recalibrate with the Lord. Say, man, I believe that about God. Finally, this is most pragmatic here. Um, He gives us, propose a perfect model of goodness. I love that. That's the whole point of the communicable attribute, right? Is that by knowing God and learning about his goodness, in Psalm 119, you see that, then that we can reflect who he is. We can remind the world of whom, the God whom we serve. So you have people like us, like many of us, hopefully, we're, we're, we can struggle sometimes that we can believe that God's not good. And then some of us, I won't labor on it, but some of us just believe we're not weak, right? So we have, some of those are the two struggles when you think of the goodness of God. It's like, okay, is God good? And some of us, we, we find ourselves working our plans. We, God is giving you some gifts. And, and, and you don't really, if you pause, you just like don't get your weak, that, that God is not, God, I, I said this back in the day, I haven't said it in, in a long time, evangelism is, is interesting to me because when, you, when, we, when we really dive into who God is and the attributes of God, God should, when you have a big God, evangelism now, I propose, is always going to be difficult, but now you understand why we need to proclaim the gospel, and, even, you know, and then you proclaim the gospel with a sense of lordship. Sometimes many of us, we, we can go and we can kind of treat the gospel like a marketing campaign, as if we're competing. Like, like, gotta be clear, God isn't competing for the allegiance of anybody. Everybody will bow before God. Will. Everybody. This is right. It's not like, you know, uh, cool, cool cigarettes, you know, some marketing campaign and then there's God and you get to choose if I'm gonna smoke cools or get Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not what's happening here. I'm not going doorstep to doorstep hoping that people will receive my marketing campaign and like God more than they like their other stuff. You see what I'm saying? No, that's not, that's not what's happening here. No, this is, this is really about, so, because when you think like that, you're really thinking that he's kind of like this thing that is not a necessity, but it's kind of a luxury. No, 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 no. God is the king whether you like it or not. And I'm just trying to help you understand. He's not competing. You need to worship him. You need to worship God because he's necessity. You see the difference there? All we're doing there is just talking about the attribute of God and just the goodness of God in that. So when you even look at my, my prayers at, in verse 11, you see I'm the good shepherd, that it would, it would invoke all those kind of, that kind of thinking, those kind of memories, those kind of thoughts of like, what do I mean good shepherd, who he is? It's not just what he is, it's, it's It's who he is, what he does, but it's who he is. And just so that you don't forget, I just want to say it again. It assures us that his his purposes are good, offers us security and encouragement, draws us to God, and allows us to retell his story of goodness through practically demonstrating his goodness in life. Another marker for the good shepherds in verse 12. Look at this. The Bible reads, He who is a hired hand. So he said, I'm the good shepherd. I laid down my life for the sheep, which we'll talk about later down in the verse here. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. You hear that? In verse 13, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So I want to say, when you think of a marker of this good sheep, is that he kind of, I, I couldn't find a good word. I think it kind of makes it personal. That was the closest I can get to. It kind of makes it personal. But, but think about this. I, I love this passage because, again, I love how the Lord just makes things so street. So he's like, look, I lay down my life, and I'm not like a hireling. And, and that's an interesting deal because think about what happens here. He's saying uh, this guy is not an evil guy. Can I just propose? It's interesting because in, in, in history, this individual, if he lost a sheep, it would be a financial issue too. So he didn't want to lose sheep. So that's what makes it clear. It's not like this guy is evil and trying to lose sheep. And I think that's a really good picture for us, right? This guy is a guy who, when he loses sheep, he has to pay for those. So that's not the issue. He's not um, an evil guy because he's just made it clear the evil guys are the robbers and the thieves that he talked about in the verses from last week, right? The point in this passage is that this guy, the sheep are cool, and he's cool to take care of the sheep just in case unless there's any drama. When there's drama, that's when there's a problem. He's like, I like you, but I will not die for you. You see that? That's the difference. You know, it reminds me, my mom would always say to me when I, when I was working uh, at Subway, you know what I'm saying? Like, I like Subway. That's really cool. I really like the owner, Jim Bartz, really good guy. Gave him the first job when I was doing my thing and hustling and doing things as an unbeliever. And was like, no, I'm giving you too much. But yeah, so really good guy. But guess what? We were down on East Knife in, in Cleveland, all right? I'm talking like crazy and a lot of business. But guess what? Sometimes get robbed. When, you, when a robber came in to rob Subway Matthew, what do you think I did? I gave him the money happily. I said, oh, you forgot some money. There's actually more money if you go around the corner here. You understand? Because I like Jim, but I ain't about to die for him. That's real. I gave him all the money. Now think, Jim, if you ever listen to this, I'm sorry, man. You see his point here? So, so, but, but, but this, but this changes the this change scenario. Think about it now. What happens if somebody walks into my house and tries to rob my house and take my kids? What do you think then? I'll die for them. I'll die for my family quickly, right? And so he wants to paint that picture for you and me, something that we can all understand. There's people you care for, and there's people you die for. And Jesus is saying, I, ain't like, I, I know how it is, y'all. You act like you care for people. but When it all comes down to it, you'll save yourself. And he says, I get it. He said, but you don't understand the familial relationship here. I'm not your friend. I'm your daddy. And I'll die for you. Is that like Paul when he time? Peter, you mean? Yeah. yeah, and he's still still connected to him. He makes it personal, guys. He wants you to see hey, it's a very big difference between not evil people. It's the hirelings trying to do a good job. You know what he's, what, he's, what he's trying to teach you here? What are you trying to teach us about God? You know, what is, the, what is the Lord telling you? See, there's a difference between worldly love and there's a, there's a concept, a theological concept, guys, I want you to die, just embrace, and I, I hope you already understand this, but if not, embrace it today. Covenantal love. There's a difference between worldly love and covenantal love. Read some verses to you real quick, okay? Exodus 6, I think these are up here too, actually. Scriptures read, I will take you to be my people. You hear that? And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. You hear that? That's, that's covenantal talk, family. You hear that? You didn't deserve it, didn't do anything to earn it. But as he says, I, I will be your God. You will be my people. This is how we going to roll. He didn't say, I will be your God and you will be my people unless you commit 232 sins. You will, you will be my people unless you do this grievous thing. You'll be my people unless, no, you'll be my people. I'll be your God. See that? That's covenantal love. See, here's the sad part. Sadly, maybe 25 years ago, this made more sense. In our culture today, there's so much divorce and people just sign up for relationships and I'll get married because that's going to help our taxes and all this craziness that we don't even know and understand covenantal love anymore. I'm a pastor. I'm in church, and I'm watching Christians just say, "Well, it didn't work out. We we, we just we don't communicate well, and and you know I, I didn't know she was thinking that she financial reasons, all these stupid reasons to think that we can now break a covenant, a covenant where you say it. I don't care what happens. You and I will be together until we die. Together. God hoped." desired, and he made the covenant of marriage for us to even get a glimpse of that. May I propose to you, he made the covenant of church for us to get a glimpse of that. And somebody does do something to you, and you go, oh, I'm, I'm leaving. Why? He, he said that thing to me. What? Are you kidding me? They don't understand me and all this crap. Jeremiah 32, 38 and 39, family, look at this. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way. You hear that family that's covenantal love, that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. You hear that? Fear me, not so you can just be scared. Fear me, it's for your own good to understand I'm not like you. I'm God. I love you. I'm good, and and I got your back forever. Doesn't that encourage you? Covenant to love family Jeremiah 30 verse 21 and 22 their prince shall be one of themselves their ruler shall come out from their midst i will make him draw near and he shall approach me for who desire Who would dare desire himself to approach me, declares the Lord, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. 2 Corinthians, what agreement has a temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, you hear what he says there? We are the temple of the living God. Let me remind you again, whatever we've been saying for a thousand years, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Covenant to love. Jesus says, I'm not a hireling. I made a covenant and then we talked about one of the beautiful narratives of, 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 of creative history is God from, from, the, from the creation of humans in a garden in the midst of our failure, he said, I'm, I'm going to make a promise and all this stuff that's going on today, guess what? Guess what he's doing? Here's his point. He says, I'm going to get to the end of creative history in this way before new creation and I'm going to look at everybody and say, guess what I did? I kept my promise. I kept my promise, and I've stopped genocide, and I've stopped murders and all these other things that tried to hinder my promise, because i got to remind you, when I say something, I do it. And what do you do with that? You know what you do with that? In your own practical life, when you feel like, God, this is what it says clearly, this is what you're about. You say, okay, God said he'll do it, he'll do it. It's to build your faith. It's to build passion in your heart, to live a life for God. Say, yes, I want to serve this mighty Savior. The reading of the scriptures and the proclamation of God's truth is to gird you and to go, yes, he's worthy. Guess what else? The good shepherd knows his own family. He says, I am the good shepherd, verse 14. I know my own, and my own knows me. Just, verse 15, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. See that? Picture of the shepherd. That's deep. I know my own. Here's the thing about that. Again, I'm, my five kids. I'm I'm, I'm I'm amazed at how how different they are. Right? They're You have a lot of, They're alike in a lot of ways, and then they're different. Right? The old adage is you can give you can give one kid a feather, you know, or you can give them a machete. You know, and you can trust them with either. You can give one kid a feather, and he'll find a way to poke someone's eye out. You know? That's just how different we are. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's a grenade joke. Just think about it, pray about it, and it'll explode hopefully at one thirty or something. Okay? <laughs> so. so, we're different people. And even with our kids, I'm realizing, like, some of them, you know, you know, we, we are, we, we, we discipline our family, just, just, right? We, and so one kid needs a spanking. We have another kid, man, just, just to look is, is, is reformative. Confessing, right? We have one kid, we have, another, we have a kid who, man, something happens, they, they sin, I mean, come up to you first. I mean, better than me, I'm 41. Homie comes up better than me. Hey, dad. I did this thing, names of sin, I'm sorry I did that. Heartbroken, will you forgive me? I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, seriously, I'm like, cut to the quick, I'm praising God that we have kids who are, who are thinking redemptively like that, but it's, it's convicting, because I'm like, dude, I don't even do that. Right? I have other kids, you gotta make the case. They hear the case, they need two hours of process. They, they give you their case. Uh, sweetheart text me about their case you know by 4 p.m. because they can't go somewhere all of a sudden the Lord gave them the word (laughs) you're right I should have done that now can I go da 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 (laughs) can I keep it real (laughs) different kids (laughs) different kids (laughs) and that's real that's real talk (laughs) right you know about you know he says I know my own you know, you know, I, I wonder if he, what he's saying in their family. He's saying, guess what? Some of us, you know, me, me and J.D., we, we, we start, we get in an argument. We, I mean, it's like boom, boom, you know, me and J.D. Now, we, we haven't done this in a while. <laughs> but we can have a very heated discussion, right, that I'm guaranteeing you 80% of this body will leave the church. Right? And, we, and he's been gracious to me in that way throughout the years, and I thank him for that. We, we go there. But what I had to learn through failure is I have to know the sheep. Everybody, not JD. You know, and and God is saying, guess what? There's some of us who we articulate things well, and some of us have the process, and some of us can do 15 things, and some of us can do too well, and some of us we're emotional, and some of us we it's not that we're not emotional, we're we're just we're, we're focused. We are very different people, right? Some of us, a relationship can injure you for 15 years and someone can send it to you the same way and you're long suffering. You See that? God says, I know my sheep. He knows who's weak. He knows who's strong. He knows who's struggling. He knows who's fighting though. He knows who's persevering. He knows who's one step away from giving up. When he says he knows your name, he, know, he knows them. He's saying, I know you. Everyone in here. See, you know what's humbling about this? I think for the first six years, I tried to know all your names. Like God. I think I was, I think I was like trying to be the good shepherd in that way. In an unhealthy way. And what I had to realize is I'm, I, God has made me the under shepherd. But guess what? Hey, but can I be really clear here? Everybody in here, you have one good shepherd. It's not me. There's only one shepherd that knows you, that knows you by name. And I've tried to be that. But you know what else, though? Some of you have tried to make me your good shepherd. And you've been frustrated because I don't know you by name like that. And I don't ask you to repent. I'm not your good shepherd. Jesus is your good shepherd. We got to figure out that balance as we serve together. He knows who's straying, who's weak, who's sluggish, who will wander. He knows your desires, your longings, your hopes, your flaws, your failings, your sin, your passion. He knows your need. <clears throat> a good shepherd knows his own. That's a marker. Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. I love how he brings in, in the middle of this passage. Think about this. He's talking. He's really trying to gird them in who he is. And he still talks about not only just the loss, but he talks about this sense of unity. Of, of, of different people coming together for the greater good. That's just amazing to me that he would bring that in this passage. That he would say, oh, you know, there's other people. Can you imagine the Jews? Like, who are you talking about? You know my Jeffrey on Crenshaw? Who are you talking about? Can you imagine? He's bringing this up in this passage. So there would be one flock. I wish I could labor there longer. Verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life. Verse 17, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down for on my own, of my own accord. It was one of my favorite passages in all the scriptures. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. I just think that is one of the most, <laughs> I love that passage because who can think of that? Like no one takes my life. I lay it down. I mean, that's a, you talk about a mic dropper. I'll, you know what I'm saying? That's crazy. And can I just say this? I'll just, I'll just, uh, what he's in, in verse 11 and 14, we talked about this laying down my life for the sheep. I want to propose, he's talking about God protecting his sheep. And let me just say this. D.A. Carson gives a picture. And I think we think of this a lot of times. We can see that the story of the cross is actually a picture of God uh, showing his proof of his love for us. Okay? Yes, I would say kind of, but I want to say theologically, can I take another, give you another perspective of what the cross is doing? D.A. Carson talks about almost sometimes we we can see the cross when we think about him showing, proving his love for us, that he jumps off this cliff and as he's bellowing to his death, you know, this hard fall, he says, so now do you see how much I love you? As if in the proof of his love and, you know, right? It's graphic, but you get the picture now. Can I propose to you, when you think of the cross though, I don't, know, I don't know if necessarily that's only what God is doing. I propose he's doing something even more. The cross, what he does is when he, when he gets up on the hill of Golgotha and he's murdered for you and me, notice how he talks in Psalm 23. Notice how he talks here. You know what he's doing? That is a sign. That is the stigma. That is the, that's the undergird of him saying, what I've done here is I've protected the sheep. The cross is God saying, hey, someone has put you in sin. In the sense of you, Satan is continually holding you captive. Satan is your daddy. Because of your audacity to think you can be your own God, you right now are being held captive. And guess what? A price needs to be given to you, needs to be given for you. And guess what I'm going to do? Satan wants to kill. He wants to come in and steal. He wants to be a thief and a robber. He wants to be a roaring lion. What I'm going to do to end all that, I'm going to provide the ultimate protection, my blood. And what I'm going to do is, as I'm murdered, and my blood is shed for you, what it does, it protects you. For as the scripture says, now there's no accuser of the brethren. Right? I propose to you, he lays down his life. He says, I laid, and, and guess what? I laid down my life for my sheep. Why? What, what are you doing? This whole picture, the doorway, laying down your life. Laying down your life, why? To protect the sheep from, as it were, the intruder. A good shepherd protects his sheep. And a last one, family, I want to say, the good shepherd provides for his sheep, and I uh, this is seen throughout the passage, obviously, goodness and mercy. He says, uh, but I want to, um, I want to take us to Psalm twenty three to actually see this, and then we're going to go home. The scriptures read, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul." You hear this? He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Verse 6 Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of my days, all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We looked at the sermon. Uh, we looked at uh, Jesus feeding uh, five thousand. You think of him feeding. He does two separate accounts of feeding thousands of people. We see continually throughout scriptures him showing our need and how he provides for us. And here we get Psalm twenty-three, and I bring us here because he's talking about the sheep and how they lie in pastures, and there's a sense of resting in green pastures, right? Where God is providing that he's the one who gives us the sustenance. We talked about this last week, but I just wanted to pause and say, this is a marker, that God wants this not to be some duty for you and me, but he wants us to hear the attributes of God, hear who he is, and he wants us to rest and enjoy him. And here's the response that we all have. Look at the response. Verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? People just going, hey, this is ridiculous. And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Where's that coming from? What is he talking about, the eyes of the blind? Remember, <laughs> chapter 9. It's all coming to see how it comes all full circle. This whole concept we talked about, I talked about it in the beginning of chapter 10. This is all about him responding to the Pharisees and the scribes in chapter 9 who excommunicated a dude because he could see. <laughs> Right? That's <laughs> the whole point of passage. And now we come back to it. You see that? What is the Bible telling us? We all have a response here. This is, what the, this is what the Lord does. You read in the scriptures, you read all this cool stuff about Jesus. It's not just poetry. God is saying, You and I have to respond. All this I'm saying either, Am I a demon? Is this weird? Is this dumb? Or, Man, am I, am I seeing a validation of God Himself? Revealing himself to me. My prayer is that you would choose Jesus as Savior. How do you do that? By recognizing your sin. And Lord, I, be- I believe, I-, I agree with you that I'm a sinner. I'm sinful by nature. And that your salvation is not a luxury, it is a necessity. Saying, Lord, I, I want to believe. I believe in your sacrifice. I repent of my sins and I ask that you would be my my Savior, that you would be my God, that I, would, that I can be your people, that you would believe that by faith. God says he pays for your sin. He gives you his Holy Spirit. He makes you new. And then the work he begins in you, he completes until the day of redemption. Our prayer, my prayer, is that you would all be receiving Christ. And if you have received that good news, that's the gospel, that now you will be living that out because you have a good God. Let's respond in tithe and offering uh, and also to respond in our time of communion.